listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, good morning. Thank you, this section. Good job. Let's try again. Good morning. Okay, great. Thank you back there. Good job, kids. Yeah, that was awesome. Good morning. My name is Garrett Hawley. If you don't know me, I get to be the middle school minister here, which is great. Um, But I do apologize. You are stuck with me this morning for the sermon. So, but here we are. We're going to get through it together. Okay. Um, Also, uh, you may not know this about me, but I've gotten to be a part of Northside for my parents started coming here when I was three, 25 years ago. So um, I remember when family Sundays were just called second service. And that was what we did because we had classes first service for kids. And then it was like, go sit with your parents. So we would go and we had pews then. It was great. It was good memories. So I love family Sundays and I love when all ages, most ages, not our littlest kids, but are in the room together and we're learning from God's word together. And I think when we don't do that, sometimes we miss something. I think we really miss something because uh, kids and teenagers need to see adults worshiping. And they need to see that this matters past school, all right? They need to see we have something coming towards us. And adults, you need to see the joy and the energy that kids have when they worship God and get excited about that and learning things for the first time. We need that reminder too. So I just want to encourage you, like, if there's distractions today, it's not a distraction. What is God trying to teach you? All right, from the kids around you or kids, if there's boring adults around you, maybe ask what their name is. You know, I don't know. Get to know some older people today. It'd be great. So kids or students in the room, really quick, just for you, um, because it's me, we're going to get to play a game today in the sermon. Okay, so I need you to stay with me. You can't just zone out completely. I need your participation and I need you to make the adults participate too, because they think they're too cool. But we know they're not, right? We know they're not too cool to participate. They're not too cool to to stand up if Garrett asks them to, right? So we're going to do that today, kids. I need your help. Adults in the room, I promise you, I know most of you, you're not too cool for this, okay? And it's just going to be standing. That's all you have to do, okay? That's literally the only thing I'm going to ask you to do, probably, okay? Uh, Unless the spirit moves. But, um... No matter what age you are, I don't want us to be passive today, okay? We all can learn something from today's text. Lastly, if you're not with us in the room and you're watching this from online, honestly, I'm a little bit jealous that you get to enjoy this from the comfort of your home, okay? Um, The day after Christmas, it was hard to wake up today. But for those of you that made it, good job. Those at home, I still want you to participate. Please participate wherever you are. If there's kids in the room or not, just try and do what we're going to do, okay? It's not that hard. All right, um, I get to wrap up our final message in this series called Christmas that we did because um, the preaching planning team is crazy and we like to do things like Christmas and try and say that a million times. But I want us all to say it because this is our last time. So we're all going to say it on the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Christmas. Yeah, isn't it sweet? It's kind of cute. All right, uh, we've taken a look at different Christmas songs throughout December. We've looked at um, songs that sometimes they, we sing about more myth than the real story, right? And listen, 
We want the Christmassy songs and the Christmas trees and the Christmas cookies and the Christmas movies and the Christmas presents. We want the Christmas meals, right? We want the Christmas harmony. We want Christmas decorations to evoke Christmas nostalgia. And I love that stuff, okay? I'm not here to, to dunk on it, all right? It's really great. I love Christmas nostalgia, okay? I especially love Christmas movies. The Grinch is like, the Jim Carrey, The Grinch, is like one of my favorite movies all time. Like, I love to watch it in August. I think it's a great time to watch The Grinch. Anytime it's on, I'm like, I'm in, okay? But, um, like we do with Chris Myths, the same thing with movies. When we think about the movies, we just remember the endings, right? Like, it's a wonderful life. We don't ever, like, bring up, like, I love that part where George Bailey was going to commit suicide. No, right? We don't love that part, right? We don't talk about that part. But it is part of the story. It's what makes the ending so good, right? Same thing with Elf, which I think is one of the best Christmas movies ever. Um, It's got pretty heavy themes of, like, child abandonment and disillusion, some mental health issues, reconciling sons and fathers. It's like a whole thing, right? It's not just Santa at the end, right? It's, it's a whole thing. Scrooge, the story of Scrooge, love the story, love the musicals, okay? Scrooge, he's an orphan. He's been abandoned. He also loses his true love, never gets her back. She gone, all right? We don't like to remember that at the end, but it's true. And also we find out somehow he's responsible for the malnourishment of a little boy named Tiny Tim who's gonna die unless Scrooge, like, literally changes everything about himself. He's somehow responsible for this little boy's death. And then three literal ghosts show up and scare him. And he's like, I'll change. But we like to remember, what day is it, boy? Go grab that giant turkey that you have in the middle of England. Great. Listen, I love all that stuff. I love those things. But here's the point. A lot of times we get lost in the myth of Christmas the Christmas story, and we forget the reality of the Christmas story. And so that's why we've been going through this together, through different songs, and just remembering what really happened, the real story. So today's Christmas song is We Three Kings. Yes, I love this song. And on Christmas Eve, Corey mentioned, he's like, we've been tearing apart your songs. And I'm like, that's so true, but also I still love this song. So you don't have to hate We Three Kings after today, okay? Um, I love it because that chorus starts with that word, oh, which is just like an invitation just to like wail. Anytime you sing oh, it's like no words were good enough, okay? We can only make sound. Oh, like that's the only, it has to come out of you like that, okay? So Wayne may not be up here today, but the singing stayed. So we're going to sing as a group and at home, sing out loud the first verse and one round of chorus of We Three Kings, okay? We're going to do it. And kids, look at your, look at the adults around you. Say, you're going to sing. Yeah. Tell them like you mean it. You're going to sing. And adults say, you better sing. Right? All right. It's not just, just the adults. All right. We're all going to sing together. And I'll start it low enough that we can all kind of hang around the same time. Okay. You ready? Here we go. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Then hold out this O. Ready? Oh, I 
can't hear you. Sing it louder. Oh, star of wonder, star of might, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. What an opportunity to say yonder and thy Words that we don't really say anymore. You know, it's so great. I love it. The melody is simple. Usually it starts off low enough that all of us can track. We don't have to drop down again halfway through, okay? It's pretty great. It's also super slow. So if you wanted to, I could have made you stand up and we could have done the whole Fahudoris thing to it because it's slow. We could have done it, but I didn't. So when I ask you to do things later, just remember, I didn't make you Fahudoris. Thanks, great. Thanks, Galia. All right, that's my sister. She got me. Okay, here's what I mean. The first line that, that we three kings, I mean, the song is great. That's a lie, but everything else is great. Like, it's totally not what happened, but it's a cute song, right? We love to sing it, all right? Our modern renditions, though, we usually don't make it to the fourth verse. You know, they go through gold, frankincense, myrrh. That fourth verse, sometimes we still do, but usually that's not like what we remember about the song, We Three Kings. Just listen to the words. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in stone-cold tomb. Woo! Christmas, right? No, no, that's not how you feel, right? It's got a real Grinch energy in that fourth verse. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it. But you know what we already sang? So now I got you to do that. Now let's play our game, right? You ready to keep going? We're going to keep playing a game. This game is simple. You've probably played this game. It's two truths and a lie. All right? So here's how it works. We're going to put three things on the screen. Uh, one of them is true. Two, No, two of them are true. One of them is a lie. So I will read them all. And then we'll go through again. And you have to stand up for which one you think is a lie so that I can see who's the loser. No, I'm just kidding. We'll just, it's good. We can all, we're all going to participate. All right, parents? We're going to do it? Yeah. Here they are. Number one. There were three of them because of the number of gifts. We know there were three of them because there's three gifts. Two. They were kings of the east. Three. They were at the nativity. So choose one. Kids, help your parents choose because they're probably indecisive. Sometimes. They're already thinking about lunch. They've got a lot of decisions ahead of them. So stand up if you think number one is the lie. There were three of them, and we know this because of gifts. Good job, Silas. Way to go, man. Way to be brave. Hey, there's one. Okay, great. Go ahead and sit down. Number two. They were kings of the east. Stand up if you think that's the lie. Good job. Good job bravery. Love to see it. Okay, great. And number three, they were at the nativity. Do you think that's a lie? Stand up. Oh, the majority of you think that's a lie. Great. Great. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Here's the truth. They're all lies. Oh, I know I cheated, but I'm up here. So I get to make the rules today. All right. So they're all not really true. Okay. Even though we set up the nativity to look like it happened that way, or the song sings about three of them and they were Kings. That's not true. So let's go through one by one and kind of talk about it. Lie number one, there were three of them. This is not true. Here's why this is not true. I mean, I understand three gifts. You think three people carried gifts all the way from wherever they were to where they were. I understand. It's great. Um, all we get from the Bible is this. This is Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. That's all we get. 
It doesn't say three of them. It doesn't say any number. It doesn't say hordes of magi. No, it just says magi. So it mentions three gifts. That's why historically we put three with them. But likely the wise men didn't just travel as a group of three people. Because traveling was dangerous. All right? There were robbers. Think back to some of the stories Jesus would tell throughout his life, right? It's dangerous to go somewhere by yourself, even with a group of three. So they probably traveled with a small caravan or a large caravan, at least a big group of them, a sizable group. Something that, like, if they just showed up, it'd be uncomfortable in the room. You know, like, there's a lot of them, okay? Enough to take notice. Cool? Lie number two. These were kings from the east. I'm not here to denigrate or destroy a fond memory of you or your child playing one of the three kings and their church nativity, or like the one we did a few weeks ago, okay? Right on this stage. It's great. It's remembering part of the story. It's just condensed. I'm okay with it. I'm not anti that. But this is all we get, all right? It says magi, usually translated wise men. That's a better translation than kings, okay? So now it doesn't mean that they weren't like powerful or wealthy. They were. They were honored people. It was kind of an okay thing for these wise men from different courts to travel and visit other kings, all those kind of things. But I don't find people like telling each other, oh, these kings have come. So they weren't kings, all right? If these men were from Babylon in Persia, which some biblical scholars believe they would have come from there, um, Think more like Daniel from the Old Testament. When Daniel and the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, Daniel, Radshach, Meshach, and Abednego become part of the king's magi. They're wise men. Okay? Not all of them agree about everything, right? Actually, the other magi, if you remember VeggieTales, they walk at 45-degree angles singing about what are we going to do about Daniel, right? Okay? I always love that, and I thought about it so many times this week. But... That's the... Put that in your mind. That's what the magi were. This is what it would have been. Okay? So, we know that they were advisors. They were astronomers. Probably more astrologer than astronomer. Okay? They were pagans. All right? These are not necessarily Bible-believing people. They saw a star. They knew, oh, there's supposed to be a king of the Jews born. Probably from when the exile happened and they took Jewish scriptures to Babylon. Which is cool to think about. But they headed that way. Alright? The star led them there. They probably didn't have crowns, and they were unlikely to be seen as a king. Alright? Line number three. They were at the nativity. This isn't even in the song, really, except it's just implied. Right? We set up our cute nativity scenes, and listen, I am not anti-nativity scene. Okay? I think it's great. But if they came from Babylon to Jerusalem, and then Bethlehem, this would have been like a 700-mile journey. Okay? Our nativity scenes are condensed into, like, the whole story into one thing, which is, makes for a good picture, but it's a myth that it happened that way, if we think that's what, how it was, okay? All we know is that when they saw the star, they headed west from wherever they were to Jerusalem. Matthew 2.2 2 says, speaking of the Magi, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So later on, we'll see that this could have been up to two years after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph were still in Bethlehem. So Jesus is not like still laying in the manger, right? He's like a two-year-old. I don't know if you've been around two-year-olds. They don't really do what you want all the time, right? They're moving, right? Also, that'd be a long time to sleep in the hay. So they've probably moved on from the stable, okay? They're just, that's probably, so they're probably not right there with the shepherds and the sheep, And listen, 
Our manger scenes are pretty, but they're kind of a Christ myth. Just a little. They're not bad. I understand we're trying to condense it down, make it easy to swallow, easy to remember. But that's not what the Bible said. So maybe if we set up our nativity like next year on one side of the house and you put your wise men like all the way on the other end, actually like down at the end of your driveway, that would be great. That's more accurate. They're super far away when Jesus was born, right? And also the shepherds didn't follow the star to the manger. The angels told them the magi are the one with the star. So if you want to like put the star like, anyway, anyway, just saying we could make it more accurate. But sometimes what we want is for everything at Christmas to be simple. And I totally understand that. It isn't just what Christmas was like then that's a little different. Sometimes we do that today, right? We just kind of simplify it, right? We condense it. Oh, we're, everything's happy and, and joyful at Christmas. And I understand that. But that's not really what the first Christmas was like. So I don't know why we hold ourselves to that standard today. We talked about how the first Christmas, throughout this series, we've talked about there was teenage pregnancy, there was prob- like a probable divorce that was going to happen. Uh, travel because of a census, finding there's not regular room. They have to have a baby in the presence of animals. Just what every newborn mother wants for her fresh baby is fresh hay and a donkey sitting there with them, right? Nobody wants that. And then it always cracks me up about the sheep because it's really cute and fun when the, the shepherds show up. But, like, they would have smelled bad. And... If a stranger that smelled bad showed up in the hospital room when you had a baby, it was like, can I hold your baby? Probably moms would be like, I don't think so. Right? So, but, so there's like a mixture of like stranger danger, but also like this is kind of cool that you know who this is. You know, there's like, it's dynamic. It's not one thing. And the story of the Magi is not less complicated than that either. So we've talked about what the story is not. Great. We talked about the lies. Great. So why don't we just open the Bible and see what it really is? So we're going to read 12 whole verses together. So kids in the room, 12 verses. It's going to feel long, but I've broken it into two parts, okay? We're going to do six and six. Great. Adults in the room, this gives me a really good opportunity to talk about why we're doing our year of Bible engagement starting next week, okay? We're doing it because we're not reading our Bibles. It's really hard to be united and stand together as a family, a church family, when we don't have the same foundation to stand on. And so we need God's word. And it's not just like congregation, like staff-wise, we need it too. We need challenged in this way as well. We need to be standing on a firm foundation so that we can be united, right? And so that's our challenge. Kids in the room, I want you to remind your parents, hey, did you do your Bible reading for today? Not because like you know better than them, but because you probably didn't either, okay? So you can help each other read your Bibles. Cool? Can we do that? We can do that. Awesome. Okay. We're going to dive in. Um, Real quick, if we were in the middle, I just want you to know, all of you would have a physical copy of the Bible in your hands. Got a wagon full of them. All right? And we would do a Bible drill. And we would start with this, and you would have your hand up by your head, and Lexi Stevenson's rule of having the elbow by your ear so that it's straight above, above you. I say you have to hold it by the bind, the binding, so you can't thumb through and cheat to see who could get there first. And we'd race to Matthew 2. But it's not the middle, so we're in adult worship, and you can be lazy. So, here's what's going to be on the screen for you. If it's better for you that way, that's fine. I hope you can find Matthew. But, um, also, I'd have all of you sitting in the front, just so you know. Some of you sit in the shadows every week, like you're Batman attending church. (laughs) 
And in the middle, I don't, like, kids that go in the middle with me, do I let you sit far away from me? No, every time I'm like, scoot up, and they're like, and I'm like, okay, 10 more feet of that, please. So that's, but again, welcome to adult service. That's not my domain. So anyway, uh, we're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2 again, and we're going to read the first six verses. Here we go. Ready? Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Pause. Whew, we made it six verses. Good job, kids. You did it. Adults, good luck. All right, so who are the characters so far? We've got the Magi. Who's the next character that's mentioned? Is it King? What's his name? Herod, there you are. Hey, guys. Well, good morning. All right. Then we've got the priests and the teachers of Jerusalem, right? He calls them together. Where did the Magi come from? It just says the east. So, east. All right. And where are they now? They're in Jerusalem. They're in King Herod's court. The prophet that's mentioned is the prophet Micah. Corey read from Micah 5 earlier. This is the same passage that he was talking about, uh, which we didn't plan. So, that's cool. Um, or I didn't plan. Maybe he did. I have no idea. But um, Micah was a prophet. He was a super effective prophet, actually, for Israel. He warned them of the Assyrians coming. Then they took over the northern kingdom, and he, they were, he was like, that's going to happen to us too. And then God actually spares them from the Assyrians. But then the Babylonians come later because they turn back to their old ways. And then the Babylonian empire becomes the Persian empire. So if these magi were from Babylon or Persia, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That they're bringing news of the Messiah when it's the same people that took the Jews away. They recognize the Messiah has been born before the Jews do. It's interesting. So anyway, let's keep going. Verse 7, Matthew 2. It's up here for if you need it. Here we go. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship the child. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Whew, we did it. Good job, kids and adults. You made it through 12 whole verses. So, but let's remember, there's no mention of a number of them. It doesn't say they're kings. And it says they came to the house where Mary was, not a stable. Okay, so they've settled down. They're living in Bethlehem, or at least it feels like they're living in Bethlehem. The Magi in this story, there's a whole other, we could have gone like a whole other direction. The Magi in the story, they represent the nations, okay? But not just that, they're like pagans. They're not necessarily Bible-believing people. They just saw a star and knew, oh, that's important, and they followed it. 
It's important for us. It shows these astrologer academics from a far-off land. They recognize the importance of Jesus' birth before God's people did. There's some warnings for us in that today, too. And if I had more time, I'd love to talk about God's consistent, his ever-present love for the nations and those that don't know him yet, but maybe another time. Greg did a good job talking about that, too, from Revelation earlier in the communion meditation. So uh, for now, we're stuck on the We Three Kings song. It isn't a perfect recalling of what happened. It leaves out a pretty major character in this story, the only actual king that's mentioned in the story. Who? Herod, right? Herod, he's the only real king. So it's time for round two of Two Truths and a Lie. And this one's real, I promise. I didn't cheat this time. So we're going to tap three things about Herod up there. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. So let's read them first, and then you got to pick. Herod had eight wives and murdered one of them. Two, Herod had at least 14 kids and killed two of them. Three, Herod's historical title is Herod the Great. So... I want you to choose from that list which one you think the lie is and stand if you think so. So who thinks the lie is Herod had eight wives and murdered one of them? Stand up if you think that's him. He couldn't have gotten away with it. Okay, good job. Thanks, bud. Thanks, thanks. Great. Who thinks Herod had at least 14 kids and killed two of them is the lie? He couldn't do that as a father. Not a sweet father, right? No. Okay, great. More of you. Great. Three, who thinks Herod's historical title is Herod the Great is the lie? A lot of you don't think so. I understand. How could... Right? If those two are true, how could it be great? Great. Thank you, guys. Sit down. The real answer is that number two contains the lie. Here's what I mean. Herod did have at least 14 kids, but he didn't kill two of them. He killed three. All right? Real sweet guy, this Herod. All right? He did have eight wives, but he killed his favorite one. Oh, I know. His first wife. Yeah. Apparently a very jealous dude, right? And he is historically known as Herod the Great. Not great because he had a great personality, okay? But great mostly due to the like, things he built, the projects he started. He started rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, which was, that lasted way after he died. It was finally completed, decades after his death. And he managed to stay in charge for a long time when that was really hard to do. He reigned in Judea and the surrounding provinces for a long time. In terms of succeeding in a long reign, he did great. He was great at it. Murdered a ton of people. Super, super violent guy. Pretty messed up in the head. Married some cousins. Anyway, doesn't matter. All that to say, and his niece, by the way. Anyway, uh, he messed up dude, but he was great at ruling. Okay? Great at that part of it. He stayed in power. So now that we know a little bit about Herod, we played our two truths and a lie. It changes how we read him in the story. Verse 3 says this. When King Herod heard he was heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Makes more sense now why Jerusalem might be disturbed, right? A jealous, mad king hears that there's a new king born, and Jerusalem's like, this isn't going to go well, right? They knew who he was. He's actually near the end of his life at this point. He's probably pretty sick. So these magi, whether they knew it or not, were kind of creating a problem, all right? And it could have ended in a killing spree, and we will find out later that it kind of does. So Herod hears this message from the magi, new king of the Jews has been born. Herod, he's not devout. He's not a devout Jewish man, so he calls up the teachers and the priests, and he says, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? They know from the words of the prophet Micah, Bethlehem, that's where this prophet, this Messiah is going to come from. 
So they tell Herod that. And in verse 7, we see Herod finds the exact time that the star appeared. That will be important later. From the Magi. And he sends them to, to Bethlehem. And we get a glimpse of his trickiness, right? Hey, when you go and you find him, come back and tell me. I would love to visit this little new king, right? Right? Now, so it changes the tone a little bit. And then it moves from the Magi being the focus to Joseph being the focus. Matthew 2, 13 and 15 tells us Joseph is told in a dream. So the angels like to show up to Joseph in dreams, by the way, okay? And to take the child to Egypt until they are called back. So they get up in the night, they flee to Egypt, and Matthew in the story recalls that this is what the prophet Hosea said, out of Egypt I called my son in Hosea 11, 1. Here's the point. Jesus, his life is like reenacting the history of Israel, Okay. So that's pretty cool. But this isn't the last we've heard from Herod or the Magi. Verse 16 says this of Matthew 2. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So remember when he asked them, when did the star appear? It's because he knows I'm going to get this kid. So from what we know about the population of Bethlehem at that time, sometimes when I heard this one as a kid, I thought like, oh, thousands of kids died. No, that's not really true. Probably between 15 to 20 little boys were, who were completely innocent were murdered by a mad king. That's the story of the Magi. Ugh. So this is how our tale ends, right? A family fleeing. Uh, it's ironic, they're fleeing back to a land where they were rescued from. Their ancestors were. The killing of innocent little boys in Bethlehem, in that area. And the Magi having to sneak home a secret way. So if you want a Christmas song that captures the weight of everything that's happening in this, you can listen to Coventry Carol. Have you guys listened to Coventry Carol? It's like a lullaby. Most of the words are nothing. But it does talk about Herod. It's written from the perspective of the mothers of the little boys who are going to be murdered by Herod. And they're mourning that their babies are not going to make it. They're singing their babies to sleep because they don't want them to be scared. It's so heavy. That's a Christmas song we don't hear on the radio a whole lot, right? Coventry Carol. It's even older than We Three Kings, all right? But the arrival of the Magi, while it's a cute decoration, and there's being three of them, it's perfect because they each have a different pose, right? So like one of them's kneeling, and one of them's bent over, and one of them's tall and strong in the back. It makes an interesting picture, right? I get it. I like theater. It makes an interesting picture. It's cute, and it's an important aspect of the Christmas story, but it was complicated. I mean, the arrival of gifts, yeah, we love to talk about that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was great, but it also meant, like, Joseph and his family are now refugees. It means little boys who are completely innocent are going to die. It had super dangerous and very political implications, the arrival of these magi. And when we take that whole story into account, the fourth verse of that song, um, it seems possibly like probably the most important part, or maybe the most real part. Here's the words again. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in stone cold tomb. Oh, the chorus feels different after that, doesn't it? If we allow ourselves to feel that, 
The star has become less of the, oh, star of wonder. It's like less of the kid throwing their hair, their hair back, head back, or your hair back, whatever, if you're me. Uh, it feels heavier. Instead, it feels mournful. And I don't want us just to steal the joy of the first two gifts or that Christmas time brings. Like, I love that stuff. I've already told you I'm a big fan of Christmas fluff, all right? I'm pro-Christmas fluffiness, all right? But I want us to understand that Christmas, this season of joy and love and hope and light and peace, it doesn't mean that we only feel the fluff. See, the Christmas story is not one-dimensional. It is both the beginning of the most incredible and happy story ever told and a tale of a mad king, infant murder, a refugee crisis. Jesus' birth is big enough to be light and fluffy and deep and heavy. And this is where we get to learn a little bit about me, okay? Can I tell you something about myself? I am horrible. My family's here. They'll be able to tell you this is true. I'm horrible at hiding my feelings, all right? My face shows exactly what I'm thinking all the time. It's a horrible way to live, probably the worst. But um, that is how I feel. I hate lying. I hate having to lie. I hate feeling, and this is a very millennial thing about me, unauthentic, right? Like, I hate that. I hate not feeling that way. But um, I also hate when I put, like, a, face, a fake smile on, knowing that... But I've learned that, like, there is a place for that. Because you can't be all truth all the time to all people, because then you just hurt people, and you're not very nice to be around, and nobody wants to be your friend. So there's a balance, right? But Christmas, the same way, unless fully understood, the fake, the fluffy, the happy, and the heavy can just feel false. It feels fake. And we want the real story. So can I tell you the truth? The truth is that sometimes Christmas hurts. Maybe you felt this. I know my family has. My Papa Gary died a couple months ago. This is our first Christmas without him. That didn't feel good. I missed him opening his boxes of Queen Anne's chocolates that my mom always bought him. And he would laugh because he acted like he didn't know when he was coming. But we all were like, oh, there it is. there's that gift. We wonder what it is. We knew what it was. We didn't have that yesterday. We had lots of sweet, wonderful things yesterday. But we didn't have that. And that hurt. My grandma Holly died the year before that. And so now every time I see a red poinsettia, it's changed how I feel. It's not like, oh, Christmas is coming. It's like... Oh, my grandma had a shirt with red poinsettias on that she would wear all the time at Christmas time, and it had holly leaves on it, and it, it makes me miss her. That's part of Christmas too now for me, in my family. And I know, because I work here, and I, I hear about your lives, that a lot of you are going through that too. You have family members that are gone that you miss. We have family that lives overseas. They don't get to come home for holidays. That's hard too. Some of you have lost Loved ones, recently, you have illness, you've lost your job, or you've lost financial stability. Families are separating, there's conflict, there's conspiracy, there's chronic pain that some of you guys live with every day. And I get to hear your stories, I get to pray for your stories, but I also know Christmas is hard for you. And even though we just want it to be happy and sweet, and it is those things. And I just want to remind us today that Jesus' birth and arrival was all of that too. It was the happy and the sweet and the heavy and difficult. 
It was messy. And a right understanding of that means we can hold all that at once. We don't have to choose one or the other. Christmas is not a time to pretend everything is great. It is a time to acknowledge the reality of life and why we so desperately need the hope of Jesus. Without that heavy, the hope seems, why would we need it? Everything's great. Think of what Jesus would eventually accomplish. And I just want you to know that if you have been putting on a show or you felt like you have to pretend, and a lot of times it's not selfish. You're trying to do it for the people around you. And I understand. So please don't hear me shaming you. But I want you to know that Jesus didn't ask you to do that. It's not in the Bible. And scripture is very, very clear how dynamic the Christmas story is. And he is strong enough to help us carry that and remind you of joy, hope, peace, love, and light that he brought. So Jesus was born, hallelujah, and that's amazing. He was born to die for our sin. But then he raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating for us. It's both. The whole truth is both heavy and amazing. And we do have hope, friends. And I want you to hear that from me today. I don't want you to only leave feeling sad. I want you to realize your desperate need for the hope of Jesus. It's because we know the reality of the situation, too. He designed us to feel things that aren't always hopeful so that we would know we need him. To really understand this, to need hope, you need the full Christmas story, the full spectrum that scripture teaches us. And so if you are here today and you would like some prayer, you need to talk, I would love to meet you at Decision Point. If you're watching from home online, you can go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision and you can let us know there and someone will get in touch with you. On our website, that's also where you can give if you want to give financially to the mission of Northside. If you want to know more about our year of Bible engagement, that's a great place to go. All of our resources are there. Maybe you want to get involved. You want to serve. You want to see what we could do together. Great. That's your resource. But mostly today, if you're here or if you're listening online, I hope that you think differently about the song We Three Kings. Sure, the title's wrong. Whatever. We can't change it. It's hundreds of years old. Okay? We didn't get to choose. But when you sing Star of Wonder, Star of Might, I pray that you'll allow yourself to feel the full range of what that means. The happy and the sweet, feel it. Revel in it. Love it. But also that cry and that pain and that hurt, Jesus understands. His arrival was both those things. So may we as Northside, may we be a people that can do both the good and the heavy. And we don't have to pretend that Jesus doesn't understand that at Christmas time. He does. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you for, thank you for Jesus. <laughs> thank you for Christmas and all the great things that we remember this year. The joy, the love, the hope, the peace that we remember that you brought us. But God, I pray as a people we would acknowledge what is really going on, what we're really feeling, what's really present in your story from Bible, from the Bible. God, you, you invite us to bring it all with us in remembrance of Christmas. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to lie. 
And as we head into a new year, we're looking forward. We don't have to be fake. You're strong enough, you're big enough. Your word shows us that even though that's true, there's heaviness, there's hurt, there's pain, there's hope. And I pray we would acknowledge that so that we can live and and crave that hope that you bring us. Father, I'm so thankful for our church family. I'm thankful for you and your son and your spirit. Be with us as we head into a new year this week. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.